You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming up on today's episode, we dive into your comments about our forward rankings, which saw the Jets with the 8th best forward group in the NHL. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. All right, we're going to dive right into the mailbag. Your questions on the forward rankings like we touched on at the top. I mean, I got to give a quick shout out, though. Layla Fernandez is my hero. I mean, there's no other way to put it. She is so much damn fun to watch. Another giant slain on her way to the U.S. Open final. I just had, I mean, we got to give her some love. I mean, she's the story in Canada right now. Canada sports in general is actually kicking ass. I mean, you have Layla Fernandez, U.S. Open final. Felix Auger-Aliassime on the men's side, semi-final. Canada's men's soccer team is actually playing like a soccer team. Like, they're actually good. Even, even with Alfonso Davies out, they pick up a huge win against El Salvador it's it's pretty damn good to be a Canadian right now so just wanted to send some love Layla Fernandez's way and hopefully she's lifting some hardware in a couple days out there at Flushing Meadows but back to why you guys are here Winnipeg Jets talk the mailbag the rankings let's get to it right here a few questions that you guys had and maybe you know the biggest surprise was it, it seemed like you guys all kind of agreed with me for the most part I think you know the majority of Jets fans had the Winnipeg Jets forward somewhere in the top 10. You, like, you know, probably 7, 8, 9, 10, somewhere in that range. Nobody really had them up close to the big hitters. You know, the Tampas, the Colorados, the Edmontons and all that. Close, but just not quite to the level of some of the elite offensive teams in the NHL. But before we get into any Winnipeg-specific ones... You know, the main gripe that I got about my rankings, actually, and that's what we'll start off with here before we get to some Winnipeg Jets-based questions. The main issue a lot of you guys had was, how in the hell do you have the Edmonton Oilers first place in the entire NHL when it comes to forwards? And I know it it felt weird doing my rankings and having Edmonton first. It, it didn't feel right, especially with how the playoffs ended for them when they can't score with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl off the ice. I mean, it, it is hard to ignore first and foremost that Connor McDavid is 
hockey's equivalent of a god right now. I mean, he damn near almost averaged two points a game. We can't ignore that. Leon Dreisaitl followed that up with one and a half points per game. It, it's tough to ignore that the Edmonton Oilers have the two biggest offensive weapons in all of hockey right now. I mean, that's going to push them, I think, automatically into the top five. But a big part of what I said on Tuesday's episode was that, you know what, we're not taking into account, essentially, poorly managed cap. We're not going to take into account a contract that might be bad a few years down the road. Because it's all about competing in the here and now. And the Zach Hyman deal is no doubt about it going to bite Edmonton in the ass a few years down the road. But heading into this season, it's a major, major positive for them. We're, we're talking about a guy who, you know, not quite a point-of-game player, but probably somewhere in that 60, maybe 70-point range. And Edmonton got him for nothing but cap space. Like, that's a major acquisition. He's a no-doubt-about-it first-line forward. And he's going to help them out tremendously this upcoming season. I mean... Look, I don't think it's a coincidence that Matthews and Marner have their best seasons as a pro with Hyman beside them. John Tavares, the year before that, had, what, 47 goals, almost 100 points with Zach Hyman beside him. So, I mean, it's a major acquisition for the Oilers, and I feel like people might be glossied over it just because of how poorly the contract was handed out. On top of that, Warren Fogle enters the mix. I mean, that's a a good, solid third-line player, and that's going to help alleviate some of the depth issues that the Edmonton Oilers have. On top of it, too, I mean, Yamamoto's a year older. Pugliarvi's a year older. I mean, I think they're going to be a little more impactful this year as well. The biggest thing that I think Edmonton could do, honestly, is is put Ryan Nugent Hopkins at third-line center. They'd be much more balanced. I, I think you could put just about any half-decent player beside either McDavid or Dreisaitl, and they're going to do just fine. But it, it, it kind of reminds me of... When Pittsburgh had Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel all on three different lines. Um, you know, Nugent Hopkins isn't at Phil Kessel's level back then, but it's the same sort of a concept where you obviously become a lot more difficult to defend because your third line is capable of producing some offense. So that's my reasoning for Edmonton being where they are right now. On top of that, it's Tampa Bay and Colorado also took a step back. I mean, Tampa Bay lost a whole line. They lost a whole line, and they're still in the top three. And then Colorado saw Brandon Sutton and Jonas Donskoy move on as well. So I I think those pair of losses for each team push them just a little behind where we see the Edmonton Oilers at now. All right, enough about Edmonton. Let's move to the Winnipeg portion of this. You guys had a few questions about the Jets and the rankings and the forwards and all that. So let's get to them here. The first one is an absolute doozy that I love. And I, hey, we're all about rankings here as we close into October. Uh, But this one came from Byron. Thanks for this, Byron. But instead of team rankings, we're going a little more micro here with the individuals. And Byron asks, where does Mark Scheifele rank among centers in the NHL? And where does Nikolai Ehlers rank among wingers in the NHL? And that's an interesting one because, you know, we have the Winnipeg Jets inside the top 10 as a forward group. But, you know, looking at the sentiment and starting with Mark Scheifele in particular, I don't think you can put him anywhere near the top 10. And it's going to be a little bit lower than that for him, despite having his best, you know, offensive season on pace for his best offensive season uh, in the in the short and regular season this past year. I mean, there's a few, no doubt about it. You know, I mean, we can order this wherever we want but the top five to me is pretty clear at least 
You have McDavid up at the top, followed by Nathan McKinnon, Leon Dreisaitl. We'll put him at center for this exercise. But McDavid, McKinnon, Dreisaitl, Austin Matthews, and Braden Point. You know, outside of McDavid at the top, whichever way you want to order that, I don't really care. But to me, those five have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Then you have the two old guys. Patrice Bergeron, Sidney Crosby. You know, not for much longer. I think you pencil them in ahead of Mark Shifley and, and some of the other players that are behind them. But I think, you know, it will give a, we'll give a bit of a stick tap to the old guard and, and we'll have Bergeron and Crosby ahead of Mark Shifley. Then for me, Alex Barkov is a no doubt about it. I mean, you're talking about a, a point of game centerman at least that also gives you Selkie caliber play. So Alex Barkov is ahead of Mark Shifley. I mean, Jack Eichel, the injury situation is all bizarre, but to me, when he's on the ice, I'm taking him ahead of Mark Shifley. Sebastian Ajo, I'm taking him ahead of Mark Shifley. Matt Barzell, you know, the point total isn't there just yet, but he's actually, I think, sneaky good defensively, and I think there's a lot more offense that he has to give, but maybe he's, you know, stifled a little bit by the Islanders' defensive structure, but... You know, if push came to shove, I would take Matt Barzell this year ahead of Mark Shifley. After that, you have, I mean, two of the last three Selkie Trophy winners in in Ryan O'Reilly and Sean Couturier. Some people might bristle at Shifley being behind those guys. And and look, here's the reasoning for why I have O'Reilly and Couturier ahead of Mark Shifley. I mean, sure, Mark Shifley outpaces them pretty significantly offensively. I mean, there's no doubt about that, that he's more skilled offensively than either of those two players. But the exact same thing can be said, and maybe even more so on the defensive side, right? Like, we, we've we all seen it here in Winnipeg. It's it's not a new development that we're dealing with. I mean, Mark Shifley has a lot more to give on the defensive side of things. And until he does that, I would rather take players like Sean Couturier and Ryan O'Reilly, who might be just under a point a game, but they're not giving it back at the other end of the rink. And that's been Mark Shifley's biggest weakness these past, I would say, three seasons. And it's it's hard to ignore the proof as well because, you know, Mark Shifley and that top line have been outscored 5-on-5. Five five. A top line should not be outscored. And a guy like Mark Shifley should be heavily outscoring his opposition 5-on-5. Five five. And I'm not saying he needs to be a Selkie Trophy winner either, but... Average to above average defensive play, that's not asking a whole lot. And until Mark Shafley gives the Winnipeg Jets that, I think he's going to be pretty comfortably outside the top 10. Another name, too, is Elias Pettersson. You know, that one we're kind of splitting hairs with. I I might have Pettersson ahead of Shafley, actually, because I think they're both, again, you know, pretty similarly talented offensively. But Pedersen, despite his his slight frame, is is a pretty a pretty damn good defensive center. So outside of the top ten, there's there's definitely some debate as to where Mark Shifley ranks. I think you could legitimately put him anywhere between let's say eleven and fifteen. But all those names I mentioned on my list, if yet, if I mean you're asking me, right? So you know, water gun to my head. Yeah, I'm taking all those guys that I mentioned ahead of Mark Shifley. And if that's the case, I have Mark Shifley ranked as the 15th best center in the NHL. And it's all defensive play. Like, that's it. That's the last thing he has to conquer. If he's above average defensively this year, I mean, you probably have him in and around, I don't know, seven, six, seven, eight, somewhere around there, like where Barkov and Eichel are. That's how talented he is. 
We just need to see a little more on the defensive side of things. Now, the second part of the question, and I'm glad this was asked because we always do the the Shifley center rankings. I feel like that's a yearly thing, but we rarely do. It feels like, at least to me, we rarely do winger rankings. And Nikolai Ehlers is such an interesting case that I was really looking forward to going through and to see where he would fit amongst the best of the best of the NHL. So Byron asks, what about Nikolai Ehlers? Let's dive into it right here. I'm not going to do, you know, left wing, right wing. We're throwing all the wingers into a pod here. You know, NHL.com has Ehlers as a lefty. Uh, Cap Friendly has Nikolai Ehlers as a righty. He plays both sides. We're just going to throw all the wingers in and, and try to pick where he slots in. Now, similar to Mark Shifley, and as great as Nikolai Ehlers was last year, I think there's still a fair amount of wingers in the NHL that you would take ahead of Nikolai Ehlers at this point in time. I mean, Nikita Kucherov, salary cap shenanigans aside, he might be the best winger in hockey. You have the two Boston guys in Pasternak and Marchand. You know, I don't think there's much of a debate there. Jonathan Huberto, I mean, one of the highest point-producing wingers in all of hockey these past few years. And doing so with very limited ice time. I wonder if that sounds familiar. But I think you'd have Jonathan Huberto ahead of Nikolai Ehlers right now. Mark Stone, the best defensive winger in hockey. Maybe the best defensive forward, period, to go along with a point-of-game offense. Artemi Panarin. Miko Rantanen, you know, Mitch Marner, I, I feel like is getting a little too much hate this offseason for a guy that was on pace for over 100 points and a guy that penalty kills as well. But for the time being, we'll put Mitch Marner ahead of Nikolai Ehlers, I think at least, although it, it is a lot closer than the point totals would suggest. And for now, for now, we'll put Alex Ovechkin ahead of Nikolai Ehlers, although I wonder what we see out of Ovi this season because the numbers took a a pretty sizable dip this past year, but it's tough, right? Like you're talking about the best goal scorer in the history of the NHL. So again, kind of like with Crosby Bergeron, let's give the old guy a bit of love and, and we'll put him ahead of Nikolai Ehlers for sure. So that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine wingers that are ahead of Nikolai Ehlers, in my opinion, for sure, which leaves the 10th spot open. And that's where things get very interesting. And I think there's a legitimate argument that Nikolai Ehlers is a top 10 winger in the NHL right now. If you look at the names that are just outside of the ones that I mentioned there, I mean, the biggest one is Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane puts up a lot of points, a lot of points. But analytics do not look fondly on Patrick Kane. I think they might be underrating him a decent amount. But Patrick Kane would probably be the, the biggest contender to that 10th spot uh, that, that Nikolai Ehlers is fighting for. Then you have Jay Gensel, Alex Dabrinkat, who had a monster year, a quiet, quiet monster year. Joe Pavelski, who is still a point-of-game player at, at almost 40. And then Kirill Kaprizov, who stormed out of the gate with his big season. I mean, it's tight between all those guys, all tremendous players. To me, it's between Patrick Kane and Nikolai Ehlers for that 10th spot. I mean, we're kind of flipping a coin here, I think. I mean, we the one thing with Ehlers, and hopefully that gets rectified this season, is that we don't know what his production is going to be like if he gets 20 minutes a game. And, and on top of that, first power play minutes, right? Like, all those guys we mentioned are on the first power play on their respective teams. Nikolai Ehlers has not afforded that luxury, and he still performs on the power play. So, 
you know what? I'll I'll, I'll do it. As, as great as Patrick Kane is, he's in his mid-30s. I'll, I'll put Nikolai Ehlers in the top 10. We'll make him the 10th best winger in the NHL. But it's tight. But I think Nikolai Ehlers deserves that after the big, big season that he had. Kyle Connor, by the way, to me, probably in that 15 to 20 range. I don't think I would put him ahead of uh, the Canes and the Gensels and the Debrinkets and the Kaprizovs that we mentioned there. But I think with his goal-scoring prowess, he deserves to be somewhere in that top 20. So thank you very much for the question, Byron. Our next Jet-related question actually comes from Jordan. And Jordan asks a third-line question, which is going to be a very popular topic heading into training camp. Who do you think is the favorite to play beside Kopp and Lowry on the third line? It's an intriguing question because we've seen a kind of a, a revolving door of players fit that spot over the years, and all of them have been pretty effective as well at doing it. And, and we know who the names are too, and it's you know kind of cool at least that it's a, a trio or a quadrant of youngsters trying to fill the void left by Mason Appleton. To me though, to answer the question, I think it's most helpful to look at what the previous players in that role brought to the ice and then figure out which player on the Jets roster fighting for that spot best embodies all of those qualities. You had Joel Armia, maybe the first one to go along with Lowry and Kopp, followed by Brandon Tanev, Mason Appleton. I mean, Matthew Perot mixed in there as well, right? But, you know, those three or four players, they all kind of fill a similar role, right? Bigger, big-ish bodies, very, very good on the forecheck. North-south more so than, you know, dipsy doodling and moving side to side in the neutral zone, but could also chip in a little bit offensively. There was still a decent amount of skill there, but I think there's more of a focus on the physical aspect of all of their games. So to me, Paul Maurice is looking for a certain mold, right? We've seen that in the past. I don't see why we, he would change that in the present. Between Christian Veselainen, Jansen Harkins, you know, maybe Dominic Toninato, David Gustafson, I mean, hey, if you want to throw Cole Perfetti, throw him in there too. To me, the one out of that group of players that most embodies the qualities of Armia, of Appleton, of Tanev, to me, that's Jansen Harkins. I know Christian Veselainen might be the popular choice, you know, first round talent. 22 years old, six foot four, you know, seems to have all the skill in the world, just hasn't put it together yet. But I, I just don't know if if he's going to give you what we saw out of Armia and Appleton and Tanev. I think Jansen Harkins fills that role better than a Christian Veselainen. I think David Gustafson, to me, is going to be a center. I, I don't know if I want him playing out there on the wing. I, I would rather have David Gustafson at the Moose and see him play there 20 minutes a night fill out the rest of his game, and then come back either midway through the season or, you know, he's got an NHL spot at the start of next year's camp. Toninato to me, probably a fourth liner, but I'm not necessarily going to push him out of the, the chase for that third line spot. And Riley Nash to me is pencil marked for that fourth line center role. Paul Maurice has a type, doesn't he? And it's the veteran guy that is going to be solid defensively and basically give you no offense. And Riley Nash has that one locked down. So to me, I think that Jansen Harkins is going to be the guy that gets the first crack at playing beside Lowry and Cop. One thing I will say, though, is that if we're talking total dark horse candidates, maybe Paul Stastny is the guy as well. And the reason for that is if Cole Perfetti has an outstanding training camp, 
a great preseason and then gets a crack in the first nine or so games, you'd want him somewhere in that top six. And to me, Paul Sasny would be a seamless fit beside Lowry and Kopp. A guy that, you know, isn't going to be overly physical, but he's just so damn smart that it doesn't matter. And that line is going to be so defensively responsible that, you know, I, I just think that's a really great fit. But there needs to be another skill guy inside that top six for that to happen. Is it Perfetti? I mean, probably a long shot just with his age, but I'm not going to discount it completely. And I think that, to me, might be a, a sneaky candidate if you were to find some odds for some reason <laughs> for third-line spot beside Larry and Cobb. I think Stasny might be a bit of a dark horse and a long shot, and we could potentially see that happen. So thanks for the question. Jordan, speaking of Stasny, we're actually going to stick with Paul Stasny for this next question. But before we get to that, I do want to give a quick shout-out to our friends over at DraftKings. That was a hell of a start to the NFL season, wasn't it? Bucks, Cowboys down to the wire with the Thursday nighter in tap. The first Sunday of the NFL season is now on the doorstep. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new customers a can't-miss offer. All you have to do is bet just $1 on any football game this weekend with DraftKings and you get $200 in free bets instantly, win or lose. Again, all new customers, 200 in free bets instantly when you bet at least $1 on any football game. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure as well, so super easy to deposit and then hopefully withdraw your money at your own convenience. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any Week 1 game. Again, that's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Back to the mailbag now. I mentioned Stasny is in this final Winnipeg Jets question. But Roscoe asks, Paul Stasny or Pierre-Luc Dubois as this team's second-line center to start the year? You know, I've seen out there a decent amount of chatter about having Paul Stasny at second-line center and then Pierre-Luc Dubois moving out to the wing, whether it's, you know, Ehlers beside him, Connor Wheeler, whoever it is. Pierre-Luc Dubois goes out there to the wing. It makes his transition easier. He can just kind of focus on playing his game as opposed to the responsibilities that go along with being a center. I say screw that to that idea. I, I think it's a mistake, honestly, to put Pierre-Luc Dubois out there on the wing. I mean, look, the whole point of trading Patrick Laine for Pierre-Luc Dubois was to get stronger down the middle. That was the reason the deal was made. It might be the only reason the trade was made, or else you, maybe you keep Patrick Liney because you like what he does out there on the wing. So I, I, I really don't give this a whole lot of thought. I want Pierre-Luc Dubois to be the 1B to Mark Shifley's 1A. That is ultimately what this club needs to reach the next level. And, and while Paul Stasny could, could certainly fill the second-line center role adequately, 
To me, what could take this team over the top is Pierre-Luc Dubois being a 60-70 point guy on the second line down the middle. On top of that, I, I mean, look, we know it's a contract year for him. We know that he's going to be more comfortable after the chaotic situation he was thrust into last year being traded during the pandemic. But I think there's something to be said about giving the dude all the confidence in the world and saying, look, we believe in you. We think you're our guy. Go show us what you're capable of and be the second line center that the Winnipeg Jets have desperately needed basically since they've come back to this city. I think that's the way to go 100%. And I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to deliver this year. I really do. So I understand the reasoning behind maybe keeping Dubois on the wing to start the year. But to me... Look, we're going for broke this year, right? The Winnipeg Jets have clearly pushed their chips all in. Let's see what Pierre-Luc Dubois can do down the middle. And then if it doesn't go as well as hoped in the first 10, 15, 20 games, then you can kind of reconsider that decision and get a sense of what the future for Pierre-Luc Dubois might look like here in Winnipeg. One final one here before we go on the mailbag. Which top 10 team in your rankings could fall out? And which bottom 10 team could jump all the way in? Interesting question. To me, the top 10 is really easy. Which team could fall out? Because they, they might already be doing that because of injury. And that's the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? Crosby, wrist surgery, out for an unspecified amount of time to start the year. Evgeny Malkin is, I mean, he's been banged up for a long, long time. And I think he's injured yet again. If those two go down, I mean, there's just, look, Jeff Carter isn't going to replace them. Jared McCann got moved, and he's out to Seattle right now. I, I mean, there's not a whole lot of options for Pittsburgh if Crosby and Malkin aren't at 100%. And if that's the case, I mean, with their age too, I mean, Jeff Carter's old as well, I could easily see Pittsburgh being hit with injuries and that by the end of the year, they fall somewhere pretty quickly out of the top 10. As far as which of the bottom 10 teams could jump somewhere into the top 10 or, or close to it, there's two to me. I'm going to go to two younger teams as well because there's the potential for them to maybe take some big leaps offensively this year. But I'm looking at New Jersey and Ottawa. I mean, New Jersey has a pair of number one overall picks, so you would hope that at some point, you know, they, they start to get it together. Although Jack Hughes is only 20 years old. But I think Jack Hughes is on the verge of, of superstardom. I mean, it, it might take him a little while because he's a little bit smaller but I think I think a point of game season is is coming sooner rather than later for him. And Nico Heischer, if he can stay healthy, is going to be a really impactful player for the Devils. So I look at them. And then the Senators, if Tim Stutz can take another step. Josh Norris. I mean, Shane Pinto came in last year as a 19, 20-year-old and had, I think, 8 points in 12 games for them. The Senators are another team that, you know, if their youth all takes a step forward at the same time, I could definitely see them scoring a ton of goals this season. If I had to pick between the two, though, I might go New Jersey just because I'm a big, big believer in Jack Hughes having a big season this year. And they're maybe a little further along than the Ottawa Senators are right now. Thanks for all the questions, though. That That's it for the mailbag. I appreciate you guys sending me your responses. And we'll do this again next Friday after we unveil the next section of our NHL-wide rankings and where the Winnipeg Jets fit in with that. But one last thing before we go, I mentioned last episode that I would unveil some Burger Week rankings as well to go along with our forward ones. 
So we'll get to that right now quickly. I think I've tried about a dozen burgers so far, which sounds just horrendous. But I I swear, I split those with my wife, my parents, and my three brothers. So it actually hasn't been too bad. That That's the way to go, for me at least, in Burger Week. is I, I want to try as many as I can. So if you can get a big group of people together and split them out, you know, you try a bunch of burgers, but you're not eating, you know, 20 different burgers in the span of five or six days. Um, I won't go 1 through 12 because I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to make anyone feel bad. They've all been good, but what I'll do is I'll just hand out my top three so far because I still have a couple more that I want to get into before this thing all comes to a close. I don't even know who finishes with the top spot out of these three just yet, so these aren't necessarily in order, but I'll start off with Meal Said Bistro who went above and beyond with their entry. It's called the Space Jam, which as a 90s kid is just an unreal name. Uh, but then they go ahead and name their Space Jam burger and top it off with a damn fried soft shell crab. It's ridiculous in all the best ways, but it's not just like a fancy ornament either. I mean, it actually goes well with the burger. And there's so many other sauces and toppings going on, but they all play nice together. It's a little pricey, Def definitely on the pricey side, but if you want to splurge on one of those fancy burgers, it's 100% worth the money. So you can feel good in that at least that, you know what, it's going to cost you a decent amount, but at least it's going to be worth it. And I would also suggest getting the curly fries supreme that go along with it. Those were just kick ass. The other one of my top three I actually just had today, and that was Underdogs. Underdogs came to play with the Dwayne The Rock Johnson burger. It's no jabroni. It's it's so damn good. I mean, kick-ass lemon garlic feta sauce, tons of pickles for the acid, and then a huge shout-out to SmackDab, who supplied their chipotle mustard on the sandwich. Outstanding local company. Some of the best mustard you can buy. It was a tremendous, tremendous burger. Fried onions. I mean, you can't go wrong with fried onions either. Um, but the underdog's Dwayne The Rock Johnson burger was a big, big hit for me. And finally, the first one I tried all week still stands out to me, and that's the King Queso from King & Band. You heard Mike on the pod a few weeks ago describe it, but it hits all the marks, it hits all the points. Salt, acid, fat, heat. And the queso is just elite. I mean, I've actually found, come to find that I think I prefer cheese sauce on my burgers as opposed to melted cheese. Um, but the King Queso came to play in a big way, and it's an absolute must-have. The only negative is you have until Friday to get it. Fr Friday, September the 10th is the last day you can get the King & Band King Queso burger. They're going to sell out until they're all done on Friday, so I'll be there right at 11 if you want to say hi when they open up, but... Make sure you get it if you can on Friday because King & Ban is calling it quits for the rest of Burger Week after that. But there you have it. King & Ban, Underdogs, and Meal Set Bistro. Major stick tap to you guys for some awesome creations during Burger Week. Now I'm hungry as hell even though it's almost midnight so let's call it a wrap. We're back at it on Tuesday with a new set of rankings for you continuing our series. This time a look at the blue line. Last year, the Jets were comfortably in the bottom 10. I might have even had them in the bottom 5. Good news? Yes, there's finally good news when it comes to the decor. I can guarantee that will not be the case again this year after the summer of Chevy that happened. 
But we'll see just how high the Jets climb the rankings with Schmidt and Dylan in the fold right now. But again, we're back on Tuesday with that one for you guys. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Enjoy the weekend. Peace.